Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Morning Church, great to be with you on this beautiful Sunday and really praying you're enjoying our current series, Real Church Problems. And um, what we're endeavouring to do in this series is that we're going to drill down on seven real church problems as identified and articulated by Jesus as he addresses seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, so how about you get your Bibles and we're going to be there very, very shortly. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where the presenting issues, um, you've kind of discovered and figured out that the issues that are presenting, they're not really the issues at all. The issue is not the issue, there's actually an underlying problem. Every single married couple right now, you should be nodding your head because this is a paradigm of married life. There's a lot of issues that come to the surface all the time, aren't they? You know, there's underwear on the floor or the house is unclean or that rubbish bin's not put out. But very, very often the issues that present, they are not really the big issues because there's an underlying problem that needs to be addressed. This paradigm was in play in my life even um, just last week as I was editing the church online service. And I've got my um, editing software out there. I've got Adobe Premiere Pro and I'm trying to put the service together. And, and I'm seeing that there's some issues that are coming up with the software. And that's kind of strange because this is actually very, very good, sophisticated software. But there was things that are happening. I couldn't put transitions in and titles and, and things are happening. So I'm thinking to myself, this software has these issues. Unknown to me... Um, what was actually happening is that in my computer over the last month or so, there's been this accumulation of all these temporary media files. So what I had to do is I had to go and actually find these files and delete them. And as soon as I deleted these temporary files, guess what? This software worked absolutely perfectly fine. There were these presenting issues, but the issue actually wasn't the issue. There was an underlying problem beneath it. It's a paradigm that exists in so many different arenas of life and it also appears in the arena of church. And this is precisely what we see in play, this paradigm in play in the second church, the church of Smyrna that we're going to be looking at today. In this church there are pressing issues. But what happens as we read through this is that Jesus seems to bypass those issues and actually identify the real threat, the real church problem. And out of the seven churches, it's probably important for us to know that there are only two churches where Jesus does not bring any correction and the church of Smyrna is one of these churches. The church of Smyrna was about 60 kilometers from the church of Ephesus, the church we looked at last week. Smyrna was a large, really important city on the western coast of Asia Minor. It was famed for its schools of medicine and for its science. It's one of the earliest cities that we know of, having existed from about 3000 BC. It had been destroyed initially by the, around the time of Alexander the Great and had consequently been rebuilt. Now what's really interesting about the city of Smyrna is that they actually had the foresight um, to actually see into the future and they perceived that Rome would become a dominant player in the world as it was known back then. So very early on in the peace, they actually made an allegiance and alliance to Rome. So that when the time came, when the Roman Empire was the dominant empire of the world, they experienced great favour and great grace and great blessing from the Romans on both land and sea. And then they took that a little bit further in 26 AD, when they completed a temple and dedicated it to the Roman Emperor. 
And this city, the city of Smyrna, became the seat of Caesar cult worship, which was um, something that afflicted the church so seriously in the latter half of the first century. Caesar worship was something that wasn't small. It was a really, really big issue. It was demanded of by all people, all religions. That is all people and all religions except for Judaism, except for the Jews. They actually had an exemption. Everyone else in the known world, they had to worship Caesar. But the Jews had an exemption. The Christians, the early church, they were actually initially perceived as a sect, as a part of Judaism. And consequently, they too were given this exemption. And as you can imagine, the Jews, they were not too happy with this at all. They weren't happy with this because they were competing messages. The Christians declared, they preached, they, they, they proclaimed that Messiah had come in Jesus, that Jesus had died, Messiah had died, Messiah had risen from the dead, Messiah had ascended to heaven, and they declared, they preached that they were the people of God. The Jews had a different proclamation. They were still waiting for Messiah. As far as they're concerned, Messiah hadn't come at all. And they believed, they truly believed that they were the true people of God. So you've got these competing messages, these competing declarations. And you can imagine the Jews were not too happy when the Christians were afforded the same freedoms as they were. And then you add to this, about 30 years previous to the writing of the book of Revelation, there is this intense persecution on the Christians from the Roman Emperor Nero. And for that reason as well, the Jews really wanted to separate themselves from this Christian community. So as a result, this place, the city of Smyrna, which is so affluent, which is so full of people and so culturally astute, in the midst of this affluent city, these Christians, this church, are being deeply persecuted and deeply afflicted. Politically, they've been persecuted because they refuse to say Caesar is Lord. They say Jesus is Lord. And internally, they're being afflicted because this Jewish community, they're actually from within society. They are actually out to get them as well. And with this background, we're going to actually read what Jesus would say to his church in Smyrna. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. The scripture will be on the screen, but as always, I encourage you to read your own Bible. This is what Holy Scripture says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who was the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears uh, to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Now, once again, Jesus, before addressing the church, he actually brings this brand new vision of who he is to the church. We saw this last week as he comes and addresses the church in Ephesus. He starts off his, his address to them. He says, I am Jesus. I'm the one who holds the armies of the angels in my right hand like little peppercorns. That's how big and how mighty I am. He also lets them know I'm the one who walks in and amongst my churches. I see everything and ultimately I am responsible for my churches. And now as we come to the second church, he gives another vision of who he is to his church. He says, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last who was dead, but is now alive. 
right off the bat, Jesus is giving this declaration about his divinity. He is using a title that Yahweh uses of himself in Israel's scriptures. This title is found throughout scripture. It's found in Isaiah 41 verse 4, 44 verse 6 and Isaiah 48 verse 12. It is the title of Yahweh himself. Listen to Isaiah 41 verse 4. Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. So right off the bat, Jesus is letting this church know, I am the first, there is nothing before me. I am the last, there is nothing after me. I am the one who has the first word and I also have the final word. There is nothing before me, there is nothing after me. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. And this is really, really important for a church to know that is suffering persecution and hardship as this church in Smyrna is. And I was kind of thinking about this church. I mean, if I was to kind of put my lenses on it and, and kind of almost put the matrix of success that we use in the church in the West today, I'm not too sure how they'd be going. In fact, I reckon I'd be identifying some problems which Jesus seems to bypass um, if I was to put on the matrix of success that we generally use in the world today. Now remember, this church is positioned in an affluent city, in a culturally astute city, in a city that's prosperous, in a city that's full of people. This is a vibrant, vibrant city. And Jesus lets us know what's happening in this city in verse 9. He says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. Now, 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 for me, I'd be looking at that and saying, okay, you're identifying some problems right now, but Jesus hasn't even come close to identifying what the real church problem is as yet. So you and I might be mistaken and thinking, you know what, I know what the problem is. We may know some issues, but we don't know the problem. We might say, you know what, I reckon it's persecution. I reckon it's suffering. I reckon it's poverty. And in today's world, that might seem right, but Jesus seems to bypass that. What's interesting is that Jesus starts with saying, I know, I know, I know. And in the original language, in the Greek, that word no is not a flippant no. It's not like a, a kind of, of idea like, oh yeah, I heard about that. Oh yeah, yeah, I think I know something about that. No, this is an intimate knowing. When Jesus says, I know, he's letting the church know, I know. I know about what's happening. And for me, this messes with my theology especially as I was a younger Christian, because I grew up with this understanding that Jesus, if you truly knew, then surely, Jesus, you would do. If you knew something was up, why aren't you doing something? And it messes with my theology. It messes with our theology, because what happens if, if when we're going through things and we pray to God and we come before God and it seems that God is doing absolutely nothing at all? What do we do then? This is kind of that situation for the church in Smyrna. Jesus says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. This church is hurting. This church is being persecuted. This church is being hurt. This church is being maimed. And yes, people are even being killed in this church. And even that word poverty, that's a really interesting word because it's this word that denotes this understanding and this meaning that you may be poor right now, but you didn't start off poor. Now remember, this church is in an affluent city. So this understanding is these Christians, this church, that they were once rich, they once had things, but because of their faith, they have lost businesses. They have lost relationships. They have lost money. They have lost wealth. This understanding, I know deeply, Jesus says, I know that you are poor, that you once had, and now you're lost. And not only that, they are still um, in this uh, place where people are still out to get them. 
Jesus continues and says, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Not only does Jesus know about their poverty of how much they've lost, he knows about the injustice that is coming against them. He knows that people, the Jews, are opposing them and they are saying that they are the true people of God, but they're not because they have rejected Jesus Christ. And even in this, you can kind of picture that there is this uh, apocalyptic uh, meaning that's in play. There's this otherliness that's in play. There's this idea that while we see things in the physical, there is a battle that is waging in the spiritual. That God and Satan are coming against each other. And Jesus is saying, anyone who comes against the church is coming against Jesus. And anyone who is coming against Christ is actually anti-Christ. This is what is happening in this dynamic. But Jesus is saying, I know. So you put the first um, church of Ephesus and the second church in play and this church is reading that Jesus is saying he's all powerful. He is so mighty. He is so knowing. He knows everything that's happening in the churches. And then he's saying, I am the first and the last. And Jesus is saying, yes, I know. I know deeply. I know intimately of your suffering. I know about those who are opposing you. And I have to think to myself, Jesus, if you knew, then wouldn't you do something about it? And let's try to put ourselves in this church's position. Let's try to put ourselves back in first, first century Asia Minor right now, just for a moment in the church of Smyrna. So you're enduring hardship. You've lost so much. There's persecution. People are coming out to you. And then all of a sudden you hear on the grapevine, you hear that the apostle John, the one who has pastoral oversight over all of the churches, you hear that he is sending a letter. And there must have been great joy and there must have been great hope that rises inside of your soul, thinking, wow, our pastor is sending a letter. And then it goes even to another level because you hear, oh my goodness, Jesus himself has revealed himself to John and John's going to write that and he's going to bring this, wow, this is going to be an amazing letter. This is going to be a, a word of hope, a word of encouragement. And then Jesus begins and he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. And you're thinking, yeah, that's good, but what about the in-between? And maybe that's a big question for us today because that's really what this letter, what this address is actually identifying. Jesus is saying, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I have the first word and I have the second word, but you and I both know that in the in-between, there's a lot of other voices. In the in-between, a lot of other people have their fingerprints in it. And we have no problem believing Jesus is the first and Jesus is the last, but it's that in-between that we struggle with. And maybe even here today, there is an in-between moment that you and your family are facing right now and you're not exactly sure what to do in the in-between. You started off well. You know it's going to end well. But in the in-between, there are people who are saying things. There are situations. There are things that are happening right now. There are things which are out of your control in the in-between and you still believe that Jesus is Lord. But how am I supposed to live in the in-between? Well, this is exactly what is happening with the church of Smyrna. What do you do with the in-between? They've received this letter and then they read on in verse 10. And verse 10, I don't know what you think about it, but I'll just read it. Don't be afraid. Uh-oh. I mean, for me, I'm reading that and I'm thinking, wait a minute. If someone says to me, don't be afraid, it's, like, it's one thing for someone to say that to me, but when the Lord says, don't be afraid, that must mean there's some reasons for me to be afraid. I'm freaking out right now. It's already been hard. Oh my goodness. And now you're saying, don't be afraid? 
<laughs> don't be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. I mean, think about it. You're in this church in Smyrna. You've been afflicted. You've been suffering. And you've been waiting for this letter. You've been imagining, hearing for the very first time, what is the Lord going to be saying to us? And you know, that, and it reads like Jesus says, I know, I know, I deeply know. I know about your poverty. I know about your suffering. I know about the injustices that are coming against you. I know that you've lost absolutely everything. And then Jesus goes on to say, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But this still isn't the issue because the suffering, the loss, the oppression, this still isn't the real church problem. This is still not the, these are still not the things that really threaten the church. And we may think these things are the things that really threaten the church. I think in Australia there are a lot of issues that have come to the fore and we think they are the real church problems, but they're not. I've got to be honest, they're not. In the last couple of years, we've actually seen some radical social change that's happened in Australia and also around the world. I remember a couple of years ago, same-sex marriage came in and was, it was voted in. I can't tell you the amount of dialogue and, and things I heard and was part of and, and all that, just from Christians and from churches. I mean, it, like, don't get me wrong, really, really, really important issue, but not something that's going to threaten the church. In recent times, there's been a conversation and discourse about religious freedoms. And again, so much discourse, so much debate, so many things that are coming to the fore. And again, really, really important issue, but not something that's going to threaten the church because Jesus has already let us know that he is the one and only he, he is the one who removes lampstands. Only he is. And he is identifying for us to see the things that are the true church problems, the real church problems that will cause him to remove lampstands. So he hasn't even gotten to the real church problem as yet. So this church in Smyrna, after losing everything, being falsely accused, has endured persecution. In fact, as I said, only 30 years previously, there's this intense persecution from Nero. I mean, people from this church, they would have experienced that. They would have observed this. They would have seen this. And the persecution of Nero is nothing compared to the persecution that is to come via the emperor Domitian. But Jesus still has not identified the real church problem. And this real church problem that Jesus is about to identify is the same vulnerability and same threat that exists today in 2020. Make no mistake about it, we are living in the same period where the same threat, the same problem still threatens us today. So in verse 10 again, let me read this and then we're going to articulate what this real church problem is. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days... But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Okay, here is the real church problem. Really, please do not miss this. This is the real church problem. Remaining faithful. Faithfulness is a real church problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a real church problem that the church has had, currently has, and will continue to have. And the question that this kind of raises to us is, who is your God? Who is my God? Who is your king? Where will your allegiance lie? Is it with Caesar or is it with Jesus? And you have to pick one. 
You have to pick one. You can't have both. And you need to understand that no matter who you choose, Caesar or Jesus, depending on who you choose, you will lose something. And depending on who you choose, Caesar or Jesus, you will gain something as well. So therefore, choose very, very wisely. And we may not have a Caesar sitting on a throne right here in 2020, but let me tell you, there are many, many, many Caesars in our world today. There are many Caesars who actually challenge the allegiance of Jesus Christ on your life and in my life. Now, we're going to have to choose. Who's it going to be? Jesus? Or is it going to be Caesar? Who has our allegiance today? We started faithful. Are we still faithful to Jesus today? That is what he's saying. And this is what's happening. He's articulating this. He says, the devil's going to throw some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, letting the church know that there is going to be an intensity of persecution, of hardship that's coming against you. That 10 days is not literal. It is a letting us know that there will be a beginning and there will be an end. And sometimes for you and me, we may be in a place of intensity and it is really hard. And Jesus just wants us to know that even though it is hard right now, there is a beginning to the season, but there will be an end to the season. So remain faithful. And as we come out of that, there will be a purging. There will be a refinement. There will be a maturity that Comes out of it, but while you're in the midst of an intense season, an intense situation, Jesus is saying, Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Who has your allegiance in this place? Remain faithful. Faithfulness is not really a word that we value too much in our Western progressive world today. Just think about it. I'm sure you know some people, and they may have been working with an employer for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, maybe even 40 years. And then one day, they get a knock on the door, and wow, you have been given a redundancy. And at that moment in that time, it seems that the last 30 years mean nothing, nothing at all. Very easily, we jump ship, don't we? Especially in churches. We jump ship very, very easily. These days, let me tell you, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've seen much of, much of this. We justify ourselves so often by saying things, you know what, you need to make hay while the sun shines. Faithfulness is a really, really important issue. And then we're in the the social currents of this world and really, really important, especially for our young people, for our young adults and for our singles. We're living in this world that has a competing philosophy, has competing seasons that will actually try to get your allegiance. And sometimes, especially when it comes to the area of sexuality, we need to make a decision. Who is our God? Who is our King? Where does our allegiance lie? Because there are competing philosophies. And there may be a competing philosophy that says, you know what? You love him. She loves you. It's okay. Give your body to them. It's all right. You're not married yet. Scripture has not changed. You are temples of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do you not know you've been purchased? at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And we need to actually, every single day, make a decision where does our allegiance lie. You know, I was just thinking, actually, when it comes to sexuality, we really don't talk about sex enough in the church. And this is what happens. This is what happens. Hear me, hear me. If our young people do not get their theology of sex in the church, they will get their theology of sex from the world. It is imperative that we as parents, as those even in the church, that we begin talking about sexuality, about the sacredness of sex, about what it means. Whole body giving in the context of whole life giving. That is the paradigm of sexuality, the gift of sex, the treasure of sex that is useful and is used as a gift in the context of covenantal marriage as given by God. 
And I've got to tell you as parents, I mean, discipleship begins in the house. Discipleship does not begin in the church. Discipleship begins in the house. So can I encourage you as parents, start talking about sex. Go all salt and pepper on them. You know, they won't understand that song, but you know, well, let's talk about it and let's discuss it and let's have a dialogue and it'll actually be something that'll protect our young people. Now, I also understand when we talk about something like this, we need to understand and recognize that each and every one of us, we fall. We all fall in different places, especially in sexuality. It is a place that we so often fall. And what's so beautiful about our God is that he actually says to us, if you find yourself where you slip, where you fall, we can actually turn to him and he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had with young people of all different situations. I've actually said to them many, many times, like if or when you fall, you just need to know I'm going to be close enough to pick you up again so we can keep on walking. So there are going to be times, and you may even be in a position right now, young person, where you are actually not honouring God with your body. And the Holy Spirit even now is tapping you on the shoulder and say, hey, am I king or am I not? I want lordship even over your sexuality. And if you're in that place, I encourage you to pray to God, to turn to God. And his word says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You don't need to live in condemnation. You can live in the freedom of Christ. And he will lead you in a way where you will discover the beauty and the wonder of covenantal marriage. And it will be a blessing in your life. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Oh, I reckon it is anyway. <laughs> Faithfulness is really important. We don't really value faithfulness. But Jesus seems to weigh things really, really differently. In the book of Acts, there's this moment which I reflect on very, very often. It's the moment where after Judas commits suicide, Peter and the apostles, they determine that there's another person who needs to take the place of Judas. And the criteria of this person is really, really interesting because they're not inter interested in looking for the brightest or the smartest or even the, the best communicator or the best preacher. The criteria is actually outlined for us in verse 21 of Acts chapter 1. It says this, So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Understand what this criteria is. Someone who was with us from the beginning and someone who remained with us until the very end. The criteria is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And even the story, as we read through the Gospels, there are disciples who actually found Jesus' words too hard, too harsh, and they turned and they left Jesus and they are saying, no, 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 the criteria for this appointment is someone who has remained from the very beginning to the very end. It is faithfulness. Faithfulness is a really important thing. Remaining faithful is a real church problem and it's a real vulnerability for you and it's a real vulnerability for me because bit by bit we get detached and bit by bit our allegiance to Jesus weakens. And sometimes it starts in a way that we didn't anticipate. It may start because you get a new job and your new job takes you to a place which is like distant or something and all of a sudden your church attendance fails or, or, or things start to slip. I mean, you didn't anticipate or you didn't mean for it, but bit by bit there's a detachment. Sometimes it's friends that we hang out with. Bit by bit there's a detachment. Sometimes it's disappointments. Bit by bit there's a, 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 a detachment. And very often sometimes it's, it's a love interest that we do in the wrong way. Bit by bit there's a detachment, but Jesus' words 
words ring very, very true. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. You just have to look at a church, any church in particular. There are people who we know and they started strong, but right now we may not even know where they are. There are issues that aren't the real church problem. Issues of severe poverty, issues of persecution. This church in Smyrna, they were going to go and they were going to actually go through some really, really intense persecution, which I'm not going to talk about right now because I'm sure there are some kids in the lounge. But if you want to check out some history, you will see there's some absolutely evil and the horrendous things that happened under Emperor Domitian. There are some really, really bad things. And there are all of these issues that remain, and Jesus actually bypasses these issues to actually identify the real problem. Will you and I remain faithful? Will we be faithful to the one who holds the armies of the angels in his right hand? Will we remain faithful to the one who walks among the churches, who is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, who is God, creator of heavens and earth, to the one who came and died and rose again to take upon himself the punishment for your sin and for my sin so that God's wrath is now turned away from us and that we instead, we deserve, of getting what we deserve, instead we receive what we do not deserve. We are adopted into his family. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We have a crown of life that is waiting for us. Where will our allegiance lie today? Revelation 2 verse 11 ends in a very similar way to how Jesus finishes his address to the church in Ephesus. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. The first real church problem Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus. He says, you need to hold true to love. You can't let go of love. Look how far you've fallen. Love must be front and center. Second real church problem is Jesus comes to the church of Smyrna. He says, it is faithfulness. It is remaining faithful even to the point of death. And then you will receive the crown of life. Let me just finish with the story as we close up. A member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly stopped going. After a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening. The pastor found that the man was at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big chair near the fireplace and waited. The pastor made himself comfortable but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs. After some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth, all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. As the one lonely ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday. Bit by bit, gradually, our allegiance becomes weary. Bit by bit, 
faithfulness wanes. That's why it is so important to remain in a faith community, to be part of the family of God. It is not wise for us to de detach ourselves from the faith community. And as we talk about faithfulness, maybe even today, you find yourself in your faithfulness, your allegiance. Maybe the Holy Spirit is challenging and just tapping you on the shoulder and says, yeah, I want lordship over that part of your life as well. Well, the Holy Spirit's waiting for us to turn. And scripture does say so, so clearly that if we turn to him, he is waiting for us and his arms are open. His love is for us. He wants to grace us once again. But as we come to the end of this service, let us contemplate and let us consider this issue, this real church problem of remaining faithful. And let us ensure that we as a church, that we are embracing each other, that we are loving each other, that we are not allowing each other to be detached from the faith community, that we are walking together and that we do not allow any person to be lost on this journey, especially in this season where we are separated because of this COVID virus. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. I ask that you would speak profoundly to us even now. That as we go from this place that the words of Scripture would um, stick to us. Holy Spirit, bring into remembrance the places where we need to change. Come and shape us and guide us as your church. And I pray that we would be able to outwalk your gospel in new, profound, creative ways. We love you so much. We would declare our allegiance to you once again. You are our God. We are your people. You are our King. We praise your name and we give you glory this day. In Jesus' name, amen.